0: where's Marsh? He said, all you got to do is give us an address. That's it. You don't have to physically touch him. You don't have to do anything else. You just give us an address. I can't. Nothing good's going to happen.
1: David Wallace remembers the job that ruined everything. The dirty trick that he just couldn't pull. The target's name was Richard Marsh. All I had to do was let him know where Marsh was. Now keep
0: in mind, at this point, I'm pretty scared because they're asking me if I don't turn over Marsh at this point, once I got here, Holman's not gonna pay me no more. They're not gonna give me back my expenses. They're not gonna give me nothing.
2: Finding Richard Marsh took some ingenuity. The guy was good.
0: Marsh, honestly, for an amateur, fucking brilliant. I was amazed at some of the shit that he's been able to pull intuitively. This guy is a seasoned, seasoned skipper. I don't know where he learned this stuff, but fuck is he sharp. His double downs and his false trails that he would leave out, his misdirection, the way he played the private investigators. I mean, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. I mean, he's better than some professionals, I know. Mitchell had let slip that they had spent a half a million dollars
1: trying to track this guy down for nothing. But Wallace found him. He just couldn't bring himself to hand him over.
0: If they're not gonna do anything bad, then why do they need the address so bad? Why? To send him a love letter? Send him more legal documents? Bullshit. I couldn't do it. Because they were not going to stop. They're big players. They're big enemies.
2: David Wallace's big enemies, he says, started out as his big clients. He met them through his growing network of customers in the world of conservative politics.
1: These clients were different from the strategists and candidates he'd done dirty tricks for throughout his career. These clients came from a church,
2: a little known evangelical sect called the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church.
1: I'm Jesse Brown.
2: I'm Shree Sutran. And this is Ratfucker.
3: My name is Richard Marsh. I'm an ex-member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. I was born into the church and left at the age of 46, and I'm currently in Canada.
1: Richard Marsh would become a key player in the Klondike Papers' story. But before all of that, he was a person born into the Brethren, a religious group that David Wallace says he wants to take down. I mean, I hope that whole church burns to the ground, their entire organization. We wanted to find out why, and we wanted to find out who this group is. Some basic research will tell you that the Plymouth Brethren are evangelical Christians who live in communities in Australia, England, New Zealand, and Canada. There are various types of brethren, but the group Richard Marsh belonged to are a very specific sect, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. When we refer to the Plymouth Brethren in this podcast, that's who we'll be talking about. Not any of the other brethren, just the PBCC, a group of about 50,000 globally who are known for their extreme interpretation of separation from evil. We wanted to know what that meant and who they really are and why their members might have ended up hiring a guy like David Wallace to hunt down one of their own.
2: I reached Marsh over Zoom at his home in an undisclosed location in Ontario. Marsh has been in hiding for years. The man staring back at me over Zoom is an unassuming-looking, middle-aged British man with a polite, quiet demeanor. And what he told me was that for him, all this started with his upbringing in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church.
3: Uh, Well... Being born into the Brethren, in your early years, you you don't really realize that there is anything outside of it. You're not allowed to watch television. You're not allowed to go to the sex education lessons. You're not allowed to do extracurricular activities. You're not allowed to dance. You're not allowed to do a whole list of things.
2: Marsh married another church member, and together they had five children.
3: I got engaged when I was 20 and my, well now my ex-wife, of course, she was 19. If you're not married by the time you're 23 or 24, you are, you know, it's kind of considered there's something wrong with you. We had only spoken for about five minutes before we got engaged. I spoke to her very briefly at one of the Bible readings. Um, She was from an adjacent meeting.
2: Marsh, like many other members, took a job with a Brethren-owned business. He says the church later moved his family from the U.K. to another small Brethren enclave in Regina, Saskatchewan. Moving families around, according to Marsh, was a part of the church's way of building up communities around the world.
1: So, who are the Plymouth Brethren? Here's how they describe themselves on their YouTube channel.
3: The Plymouth Brethren are a very caring society. And it's very impressive they not only look after themselves, but also reach out to the community and touch lives in so many ways.
1: We sent questions to the Plymouth Brethren Church about everything you're going to hear on this episode. In their response, church spokesman Merrick Grimshaw said that the Plymouth Brethren are not a cult. Grimshaw confirmed that Brethren members can only marry other Brethren members. Grimshaw said that members do not vote or make political donations— but said that they do use mobile phones, play sports, and dance. Grimshaw said that Brethren have no formal hierarchy, no centralized control, and no paid clergy. In fact, Grimshaw said that the church has no employees at all.
2: Journalist Marcy MacDonald might know more about the Brethren than anyone else outside of the sect. She wrote a book called The Armageddon Factor about fundamentalist Christian movements in Canada. She says the Brethren first broke off from other groups with their hard-line stance on not socializing at all with outsiders, and then changed again in 1959 when one specific family took over.
4: The leadership ended up in Australia and first with a, a gentleman named John Hales who founded an office supply and equipment company that is huge. And he died in 2002. And his son, Bruce Hales, is now the current man of God or elected vessel, the leader of the Brethren. And he's based in Sydney, Australia.
1: But according to former members, living inside the Brethren means living in an almost totally exclusive society, separated from secular society and even from other evangelical Christian communities.
2: Former members say that they had to live in Brethren-only communities, socialize with and marry only other Brethren members, and work only for Brethren-owned businesses. There are over 3,000 Brethren-linked businesses across the world in a variety of industries. Ex-members say that Brethren are encouraged to do their shopping at a Brethren-owned grocery store, the supermarket chain Campus & Co, with over 200 stores globally.
4: Over the last 40 years, many Brethren have set up their own businesses, Typically, these are family owned enterprises employing many from outside the Brethren community.
1: The Brethren also run their own private school system called One School, which they describe to us as one of the largest schooling systems in the world.
4: Since the early 1990s, the Brethren have established their own schools. Each school is registered and accredited by the relevant educational authorities.
1: According to former Brethren members, some of whom have just launched their own podcast, the church and its many companies control every aspect of followers' lives, all for the benefit of their global leader in Australia, Bruce Hales. This is Lane Admiral, who left the church at age 18.
0: Then they have one school which
1: handles all the entire church's
0: schooling, from kindergarten right up to high school, and of course you're not allowed to go on from there. Then they have Community Trade Link. That's literally their version of Kijiji for members to buy and sell stuff on. Then they have this lame attempt at Spotify called Trove, where it's only PBCC music allowed and all of it has to be pre-approved. Wow. I bet it's really fun, great music on there. So they have all these things running their entire lives, their business, their food, what they see on their TV, at their internet, absolutely everything is controlled. Hmm. I don't remember Jesus doing anything like this.
3: And it goes further than that because they also have their own health insurance company Basically, Bruce Hales's aim is to capture the entire revenue stream yep. of 55,000 people globally and make a profit on it. You get your generous wages working for your Brethren business, but then every penny you spend, you're actually spending it with the church. So he claims it all back.
1: The Brethren Church denies that its members are under any obligation to use those services and they deny that the church or Bruce Hales profits from them. They also deny that they have a formal hierarchy. However, their website lists Bruce Hales as the church's most senior leader. According to media reports and investigations into the Brethren, Hales is a multimillionaire who is known by other titles within the church, including Supreme Leader, Man of God, and Elect Vessel. Former members of the Brethren talk about practices called shutting up and withdrawing from, in which members are shunned. Shunning is a kind of punishment that many former brethren say is the cruelest part of the church. Often it's a precursor to being kicked out of the flock. Other times, shunned members leave of their own will. The Brethren Church denies having anything to do with it. They say it's up to individual families to decide if they want to communicate with members who have left, and that the church itself would never stand in the way. They didn't answer our question about whether members are ever instructed to shun members who still live within the community. Former members say that can happen for many reasons. For example, if you are a victim of a terrible accident, that can be taken as a sign that God is punishing you for your sins, and as a result— your own family members may be required to shun you, even while living with you in the same house. Once again, journalist Marcy MacDonald.
4: Once you are shunned, you are as dead. And so this has caused breakdowns. And in some cases, apparently, I don't know of this personally, but I have read many a case of suicides because they are unprepared for the real world. So it has caused For those who have been shunned, such a trauma. And if they've spoken out, they've been hunted down. And uh, lawsuits have been launched to either force them into bankruptcy or certainly to shut them up. So that there's an example being set also. If you dare speak out against us, let alone leave our fold, you will be severely punished.
2: In March 2022... Five former members of the church were featured in a documentary called Breaking Brethren, detailing allegations of psychological harm, abuse, and even surveillance from the church.
1: If you leave the Brethren, you're totally cut off from your family, your friends, everything. They want you ruined, so you crawl back to them.
2: I think the exclusive Brethren is a cult. One of the reasons why people have left the Brethren is because of alleged abuse. And a warning to listeners, this part of our story deals with allegations of the sexual abuse of minors. In the spring of 2022, a woman named Cheryl Hope walked into an RCMP detachment. She filed a report about what happened to her as a child growing up in the Plymouth Brethren community in Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. After filing her police report, Cheryl Hope told her story on the Blackballed
5: podcast and later spoke to us as well. It was not uncommon for you just to be dropped off at somebody's house. Well, he started very young with me, so he always was this person that I knew I needed to please. And if I didn't please, I knew I would pay for it.
2: Cheryl accuses two brethren men in Maple Creek of repeatedly abusing her throughout her childhood. One of them, she says, was particularly brutal.
5: He was the one that had it out for me. As soon as I became kind of of the age to explore, he pounced on me. And there's things that I've never even been able to to tell my parents.
2: She says that most Sundays, when brethren were required to go to church meetings six times a day, she was shipped around to different members' houses. And the things that happened there,
5: she's kept secret for a long time. And that day, I was... Given something, I thought it was a candy. Um, And I just remember that it made me not be able to swallow. And I remember like my mouth going really dry. I remember being laid on this blanket on a table. And I just remember staring at these two ashtrays and the drool coming out of my mouth. And after everything was done that day, I remember standing at the front door and I remember them handing him money well, why didn't she go to the police? Why didn't she go to the police? Because she was too scared to.
2: Cheryl Hope finally left the church at 17 and has since married and had children. She recently decided that it was time to go public about her story out of concern for her nieces still in the church. The Plymouth Brethren Christian Church told us that sexual abuse is a crime which they do not tolerate. I reached out to the RCMP. Maple Creek
6: RCMP, how can I help you? Hi,
2: I am a reporter, and I am tracking a story. Of they confirmed to me that in the summer of 2022, Saskatchewan Police received allegations of historical sexual assaults involving members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, which they are now investigating. The Brethren Church says that, to their knowledge. No church member in Maple Creek has been contacted by any law enforcement authority about allegations of sexual abuse. Since leaving the church 30 years ago, Cheryl Hope has lost contact with her parents and everyone she knew in Maple Creek, with the exception of a few people who left the church like her. One of those people is Carmen Drever. Drever hails from North Dakota but moved to Maple Creek at the age of 18 after marrying a man from that community. But she's been living in Tennessee for the past two decades after deciding to leave the Plymouth Brethren. That decision to leave didn't come easily. It started when she was in Maple Creek.
6: And while I was having the babies and taking care of the kids and looking around at my own family, I was watching kids like Cheryl, like Cheryl was one of them, um, and watching how they were so unhappy.
2: Slowly, Drever says she noticed that kids and young adults were leaving the community and they weren't doing so willingly.
6: And then the longer I was there and the more kids I was watching leave, I was realizing, wait a minute, it's not that these kids want to leave home. And here what I was realizing is these kids were being the target of, you know, two or three different leaders and they would gradually beat them down and beat them down And then the kids didn't want to obey the parents. They would start by, you know, attacking them in the meeting and then attacking the parents and, you know, turning the kids against the parents, the parents against the kids. And then, you know, eventually they would go to the parents and say, your child is being disobedient. We're going to have to put them in a position of discipline, which would mean they would shut the kids up, take all the rest of the family out of the house And the kids would be at home with the parents. And they couldn't eat with each other. And they couldn't talk to each other. And sometimes they would, you know, leave them in that position for a week or two or a month or two. And then the next thing they would come back to them. And if they hadn't changed their mind or if they hadn't promised that they were going to be a good kid, they would excommunicate them. And that would force the parents to make a decision.
2: So how old were these kids
6: I saw one case where a child was as young as 13 years old.
2: And so where would that child go?
6: In some cases, they went out on the street. It was the most horrific thing I had ever seen. You know, especially raising young children myself. I just sat there in shock.
2: Drever decided that she couldn't let this happen to her own kids. So she left, taking her family to Winnipeg to another Brethren community. But she said that when similar things happened there she and her husband decided to leave the church completely and move to the U.S. where her mother lived. As far as I can tell, the sexual assault investigation the RCMP has opened is the first time Canadian police have looked into abuse allegations against Brethren members. So far, no charges have been laid.
1: But what about Richard Marsh? Why did he leave the Brethren, his job, his wife, his five children, and the only life he'd ever known? And why was he later hunted? His falling out with the church began one day, he says, when he was in a car crash. That's when things began to go downhill.
3: And I I blacked out while I was driving. This is when I was living in Saskatchewan and went straight over a crossroads and it was a T-bone collision. And tragically, the the person in the other vehicle died on the scene. Um, And I... I was hurt, but I wasn't badly hurt. The way the brethren mentality or religion works is that they read into everything that happens to you. So if something good happens to you, well, God's blessing you. And if something bad happens to you, then God is disciplining you. God's punishing you.
2: So his fellow brethren punished him too, he says, by having him shunned. Marsh says he was not allowed to speak to his kids or wife, and they were forbidden to speak to him, even as they continued to live together in the same home. Eventually, Marsh says he and his family were sent back to the UK. Marsh believes this was the church's way of keeping a closer eye on him. He was set up with a job at another Brethren business. But there, things got worse.
3: I was having too much contact with my children and my wife, I had to move out of the house. So I moved into my business premises, slept on a pile of cardboard boxes in the back of my business premises.
2: Marsh was working for a company that tested medical equipment called Specialist Hygiene Solutions Limited, owned by another Brethren member.
7: And I found to my absolute horror, having worked there for a few weeks, that they were running an enormous fraud on the National Health Service in the UK. Um, It was a medical disinfection device that didn't work as described. It didn't give anything like the stated level of disinfection. Um, and I, uh, I contacted a number of their customers, being various National Health Service hospitals, and I contacted the health and safety executive and government bodies. I
3: kind of knowing I was signing my death warrant, I wrote a several-page report, sent it to the authorities, and I simultaneously CC'd it to brethren members.
2: Marsh blew the whistle on hygiene solutions. And for the church, he says this was the final straw.
7: And of course, that precipitated the end of my relationship with the brethren because, you know, you don't do that. If someone's doing something wrong, they deal with it internally. You do not turn members of the sect into the authorities, even if they have broken the law.
2: The church denies this and tells us that they encourage members to report any illegal activity to the proper authorities.
7: So um, I left the Brethren in disgust that they were going to cover this thing up rather than put it right. And then I published a whole load of, you know, very unwisely and very naively, I published all my findings quite extensively on a Facebook page and a website.
2: Marsh was sued by its CEO for libel.
7: Now... The libel case wasn't for anything I'd said about the equipment, so they succeeded in securing a civil libel case against me and uh, damages of 55,000 pounds.
1: Hygiene Solutions denied the allegations and also sued Marsh. They settled the suit on the terms that Marsh would not repeat his allegations. He broke those terms and was convicted of contempt of court. Marsh was now out. Out of the Brethren, out of the UK. Instead of paying his debts, he fled to Canada. And because he's no longer brethren, his wife and his five children haven't spoken to him since. That was seven years ago. Eventually, he got into online dating, met a woman from Jamaica, and they got married and began a new life together. He took a job working in a bakery in Scarborough, Ontario. We asked the church detailed questions about the story Richard Marsh just told. We asked if he was indeed shunned, driven out of the church, and then harassed and persecuted. They did not deny any of it directly, saying instead, those are not matters for the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church.
2: Once he was out, Marsh found other former Brethren members, ex-Brethren including Cheryl, Carmen, and Richard, are now connected online, where they lend each other support and work together to document what they see as the rampant abuses of the church.
1: Richard Marsh became especially active in exposing the Plymouth Brethren. In fact, he may have become their most dedicated critic in the world, digging up every Brethren expose that he could find and putting it all online, along with his own allegations against them. Eventually, David Wallace was hired to find him.
0: first time I heard the name Plymouth Brethren was from uh, Alan Hallman. I was told that I was going to get a call from his lawyer, Gerald Shapur, and that Gerald had a new contract
2: for me, a new potential job. One thing the Plymouth Brethren have in common with the Conservative Party of Canada, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and many other prominent conservatives is that all of them have had the same Calgary lawyer, Gerald Shapur. Alan Hallman the high-level conservative strategist who had David Wallace on retainer and whose son Chad worked with Wallace on the plot to trap Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi is an old friend of Shapur's.
7: The Brethren is a
0: client of Jerry's on you know many different levels from what I gather, but I don't, I don't pretend to know all of them. Jerry's a very good friend of mine. So yeah, the Brethren is a client of Jerry's.
1: When Gerald Shapur needed help hunting down Richard Marsh... Holman says Shapur asked him for recommendation.
0: And so then Jerry asked me if I know a PI. And I said, yeah, I do. And this was the same time that David was in my life. And so then I get David and Jerry to get together on that to find him. Um, apparently, they have been looking for him for you know, a long time.
2: Wallace was used to working political jobs, but having religious clients, that was new for him.
0: They didn't identify themselves as members of a church. The words they used is uh, community that we're members of a
1: community. We have a lot of family-run businesses. Wallace says that they hired him for what's called a skip tracing job, finding someone who does not want to be
0: found. This individual is slandering us. That's how we it was sold to me. I was told that they had warrants on this guy, that, that he was a fugitive from justice in Saskatchewan. That's what they told me, that he killed somebody in a drunk driving accident and that he was a fugitive from
1: justice in the UK. Marsh's former employer confirmed that Wallace was retained to find Marsh, but did not answer our questions about who retained him.
2: Wallace says he was told that there were warrants out for Richard Marsh's arrest. He also learned that he wasn't the first guy hired to track Marsh down. His new clients had been looking for Marsh for years. They'd even hired a different investigator to find
1: him, but no luck. They handed Wallace that other private investigator's report. Somehow, this other detective had obtained private phone logs that showed every phone call placed from a residence where Marsh was suspected to reside. But that PI ultimately concluded that Marsh didn't live there anymore. David Wallace was not so sure. Now, they didn't think Richard
0: was there. They'd staked it out for months. His wife was going to school nearby. I noticed that there were several different food deliveries, and the timing said to me that these deliveries were taking place while the woman was in school.
2: Wallace thought he now knew where Marsh liked to order his pizza from. So instead of bugging Marsh, he bugged the local pizza place.
0: So I put a little Jack on his phone, uh, actually not his phone, the pizza pizza that they delivered from, that they were doing all the orders. So I bugged that line, And during the course of that delivery, I knew when a pizza was going to be delivered. One kid was going to deliver a pizza one evening. I gave him a $50 bribe, and I delivered the pizza. Now, I was instructions were to leave it at the front door because it was prepaid. And so I did. And then I went around to the backyard, and I waited for Mr. Marsh to come out and take a look around and then go up the front and collect the pizza.
1: You said, I was just confused by one point, you put a bug in the phone?
0: Yeah, there was outside box. You put what's known as a carry-on on it. Basically it's uh, down and dirty, it's simple. If you, got a, if you got a hard phone line, it's easy to bug.
1: Just a landline, you just, this is like analog. Theory.
0: Easy, yeah. easy, easy peasy.
2: Wallace waited to see if Marsh would be the person to step outside and claim the pizza sitting on the doorstep. And then, jackpot. David Wallace had found his target. Now it was time to hand him over. But he didn't. He says something was holding him back, he says he was worried about what might happen to Marsh once his whereabouts were known.
0: I read about the guy. I mean, I got they were following his wife on a bus. They were doing things. When, when people who don't know what they're doing, don't know what they're doing, start doing things like that, inevitably somebody gets hurt. There's no reason or purpose to stalk somebody like they were stalking him. Maybe if you don't initiate it, he catches you, there's gonna be violence they had a team and a number, and that if I get in close proximity to call this team, right, this is even before serving him with any papers or grabbing him, call this team. And then he started talking about the guy's hard drive. You don't have to tell me you're gonna break in or rob the guy. I mean, I can see where this is going. And then I'm on the line because my name's all over everything.
1: So you're worried about your own liability there?
0: Of course, I was worried. I mean, demonstrably, if anything happens to this guy at that point, I'm complicit.
2: Warwick Fentiman, Marsh's old boss and the CEO of Hygiene Solutions, responded to our questions in an email. He said that the suggestion that there was a plan to turn over Marsh to the Brethren is entirely false. He said that all that was wanted was Marsh's address so that he could be served with legal papers. But David Wallace feared that the real intentions were much worse.
1: So instead of handing Marsh over, Wallace sent him a warning through an intermediary. Wallace reached out to a friend of Marsh's, a doctor in Alberta named Kirat Singh, who not only confirmed to us that this happened, but who happened to have recorded the original call.
8: You know, these are not normal people, and I'm doing all this research, and it leads back to these wacko religious freaks.
2: Once again, the church's spokesperson tells us that what happened to Richard Marsh was not a matter for the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church.
8: They're telling me that I've been engaged for the job that I took to deposit and I have to finish it. I'm I'm not finishing a job with these people. I told them I'll give them their money back. I I don't want nothing to do with it. Uh Uh-huh. Look, there's too many weird things going on on this.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
8: I mean, they're talking about kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This this ain't right.
3: Are they specifically, explicitly using that word?
8: Not that word, but they sure as hell danced around it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're offering all kinds of dough on top of it. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, how much are they offering you They to-
8: said I got a blank checkbook to find this guy, and they told me if I could find him within a month, they'll give me a $150,000 bonus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's insane for a guy who's a nuisance. That, that, that don't add up. They're, they want more from this guy. Mm-hmm. He must have the goods on them and something fierce. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he go to law enforcement or something? What? There's got to be somewhere he can go i just want the last two payments in the bank. I, 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 I want to give them their money back. I, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, this is too heavy for me. Mm-hmm. I don't do this sort of stuff. I do I do certain fixes, but I don't do anything to do with, with look, there are cops out there. If they got a claim or something against this guy. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this is about.
2: What Wallace didn't know was that he was being recorded which is ironic, given how much secret recording Wallace has done of others. And then Marsh posted it to YouTube, where his clients were able to hear exactly what you just heard, their own detective flipping sides and making allies with his prey, making serious allegations about them that were now out there for the whole world to hear.
1: That was betrayal, and that meant trouble. And it was under these circumstances that a desperate David Wallace... Finally, came to speak to Richard Marsh directly. Doctor Singh helped to set up the call.
7: Yeah, hello, David. It's uh, it's
0: Richard here. Hi, uh, you are the guy who put that video up last night, huh?
7: Well, not me personally. No. Um, <laughs> there is a whole there's a whole organisation of of former members of the exclusive brethren who have been suffering from this kind of thing for. Uh, 50 years now I suppose so there's there's generations of us Um, and this is a battle we've been fighting for a long time Uh,
0: look I gotta tell you I had no idea about any of this stuff when I took this job you were somebody who skipped out on a judgment who they wanted to serve papers who they said is impossible to serve
8: that's the job I took yes yeah a cover story yeah and then I did my yeah. own
0: research,
7: and that's when I said I want the hell out of this. No, no, I quite understand. I mean, they—they, they, I mean, I—I haven't skipped any judgment that I'm aware of. At least I haven't been notified of any judgment um, that I've skipped. So I I'm imagine that's just a kind of a cover story they put up to, um, you know, because obviously if they try to engage a PI blatantly with the intention of harming someone,
8: No, no one's going to take the job. No, you see, that's the thing, though. I'm not a PI. That's what I tried to tell your friend, Karan. I'm not a PI. Trying to hire a guy like me to find you is like, uh, um, how should I It's it's overkill. It's massive overkill, which put my radar up from the first part.
2: They talked for over an hour, and they started planning ways to get themselves both out of trouble and to tell the world about the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church.
8: You gotta go to the police and you gotta go to the yeah. media. You gotta do it yeah. in that order. Yeah. Cops first, media yeah. second. Yeah. Yeah. But not your off yeah. media, real media where people will see it. Right, right. Yeah. That's how you, you know. do it. Then you gotta get a lawyer and you gotta sue these motherfuckers in court.
1: Hmm. All at
8: once. Understand where I'm going with this.
1: There was no going back for David Wallace now. I'm out. I'm going to prison if
0: this guy gets hurt anything happens to this guy, I'm connected to it. I had to protect him. I mean, my name was on this. It was a decision that would have consequences. The moment I made the decision to call Marsh, I was finished. I was done. To even do that, you know you're finished. You can't be in or out.
1: To do that basically means that I broke one of my own rules. He was banished from his network of conservative political strategists and their lawyers as definitively as Richard Marsh was banished from the Brethren. Flipping sides, exposing your own clients on the internet. Who would hire him after that? His monthly retainer payments disappeared.
2: And that's when he decided, if it was going down, he would take them all down with him. He would release everything he had. Everything on everyone. This was Ratfucker's Suicide.
1: Okay, but why did he really do it? Do you believe his
2: story? Jesse, so much of this is hard to believe. The Klondike Papers are connecting
1: all the dots. The centerpieces are global. The murder for hire plot against our own prime minister. The Klondike Papers. These guys were instrumental in sending people to
0: Ottawa for the convoy. Former lawyers for the PC party, possibly fathering
1: children who are running for the party leadership. Like it's fucking out of control the truth about the Klondike paper's conspiracy theory. That's next time on The Conclusion to Ratfucker. (laughs) To hear all of Ratfucker right now, including an extended bonus interview with Richard Marsh, all about what life is like in the Plymouth Brethren, support us at canadaland.com slash joined.
2: Ratfucker is written and reported by me, Cherie Sutran.
1: And me, Jesse Brown.
2: Tristan Capacchione is our audio editor and sound designer. Original music by Nathan Burley.
1: Editorial support from Sarah Larniuk.
2: And Jesse Brown is our executive producer.
1: You can listen to Ratfucker ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime...